Okay, you can tell, some of you can tell I'm a little emotional. I had a great week at Interlochen, heard a lot of great preaching, got me jazzed. You know, I'm already jazzed, but I really got more jazzed about Jesus. And uh, yeah, so we just had a good time. I, I did. We had, well, just some really, really good preaching. Uh, and uh, really blessed my heart. And. Uh, but I want, to, I want to talk a little more what we've been talking about the last few weeks as we've been together about the sovereignty of God, this great lost truth in the modern church um, that our God rules and reigns and He has dominion and He directs the galaxies uh, on the far side of the cosmos as well as the neutron in, 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 inside the one cell. God directs all things. There's not one rogue molecule in all the universe. And I think if His people, if we, if we as His people ever fully grasp that we would turn the world upside down. We have no constraints. We have no limitations. Our God reigns. His Word is good. His promise is sure. And so I want to exhort you a little bit tonight, as I commonly do. We've been talking about, we looked at Esther and how God's invisible sovereignty just ruled in, in her life. We looked at Joseph and how, again how God's invisible sovereignty was, was ruling in his life to accomplish the Lord's good pleasure. And that raises a question that, that I hope to address tonight. What about when it goes bad? What about when the Christian is martyred? What about when the Christian suffers and suffers and suffers and suffers? How do we think biblically about that? So I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, he pastors the largest so-called church in America. 30,000 plus uh, attend the services. Uh, presumably hundreds of thousands more uh, tune in to his international television broadcast. He has a best-selling book entitled Your Best Life Now. Some of you may know who I'm talking about. His name is Joel Osteen. If you read his book, uh, the first three sections, the primary focus is on financial success and material gain. On page 5, contrary to what the Bible says, he explains that this quest for financial and material gain is actually pleasing to God. He says God wants you to experience His blessing primarily in physical, financial, and social ways. On page 38, he unashamedly says God wants to make your life easier. To obtain these financial blessings, the reader is never instructed to ask for them. He is instructed to simply think faith-filled thoughts and speak faith-filled words. He stands Ephesians 2.7 on its head and he tells us that God wants everyone to be rich. To live in God's far and beyond favor in health, abundance, healing, and victory. At the core of Osteen's self-help, self-esteem, psychobabble theology is a false assertion which is the antithesis of the biblical assertion. Osteen's assertion is that godliness is a means to financial gain. This financial gain and temporal prosperity is a fundamental and paramount concern of God. Did you hear me say that? A fundamental and paramount concern of God in the life of of his children. But what does God's word have to say? If we actually open our Bibles and read them, 
If we look at 1 Timothy 6, 4-5, through 5, uh, Paul talks to Timothy about false teachers who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. We talked about it last time we were together. We don't love God because He blesses us. We love God because we love God. And He's awesome. And He's unspeakably beautiful and He's compelling. We have not made idols of His blessing. We love Him. Whether He pours blessing out upon us or whether He removes them. What did Job say? The Lord gives and what? The Lord takes away. That's His business. We love God because He's awesome. Because He first loved us. And He saved us. God says about these false teachers, He said, they're conceited. They they don't understand anything. He said, uh, they advocate a different doctrine. They're men of depraved mind, uh, deprived of the truth. God continues in 1 Timothy 6, 6 6-8. He says, godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by, anybody know? Contentment. For we have uh, brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering, with these things we shall be content. Listen to how God's God's Word utterly refutes the core teaching of Osteen and the false health, wealth, prosperity, sham gospel preachers. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 9-11. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. But flee from these things, you man of God. Whereas Osteen talks about your best life now, what does Jesus talk about? (laughs) Your best eternity ever, forever. This is what Jesus talks about. So whereas Osteen talks about temporal health, wealth and prosperity, healing and victory, Jesus talks about... Oh, did you read the Gospels? Anyone in here read the Gospels? Jesus talks about temporal persecution, self-denial, cross-bearing, and possibly martyrdom. This is the Word of God. Jesus told His disciples that men would hate them on His account. Jesus told His disciples that men would lay hands on them and persecute them for His name's sake. Jesus told His disciples that men would put them to death on account of the Gospel they preached. And church tradition tells tells us that that very thing happened. Eleven of uh, the twelve disciples were martyred. Uh, James, uh, the brother of John, was beheaded. Philip was scourged and crucified. Matthew was axed to death. James, the brother of Jesus, was stoned by the Jews. Andrew was crucified. Peter was crucified. Jude, known as Thaddeus, was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten and crucified. Thomas was run through with a spear. Uh, Simon was crucified in Britain. Matthias, uh, who took Judas's place, was stoned and beheaded. And of course we know uh, all of the sufferings and persecutions that Paul encountered, the numerous beatings and deprivations that he suffered, and he was ultimately martyred in Rome. As I was working on this sermon, I couldn't help but laugh thinking about Osteen in his thousand dollar suit telling Andrew and Peter and James and John that God wants to make your life easier. I couldn't help but laugh out loud. What a joke. What a joke. What a sad joke. 
Of course, these men believed in the goodness and the faithfulness and the trustworthiness and the kindness and the overflowing blessing contained within the promises of God, but not in the sad, pathetic, self-absorbed, self-serving, temporal, sub-Christian, unbiblical way that Osteen does. And many teachers like him. Yes, health is a great blessing. But beloved, it is not the ultimate blessing. Wealth is a, is a gift from God. But it is not the consummate gift. Prosperity is a good thing. But it is not the best thing. All the disciples believed that God was a promise keeper. And they all obeyed Him with glad Reckless joy. Not because they would get rich. You already know why. Because they loved Him more than they could speak. That's why they did what they did. It was about loving this beautiful God who had saved them. You know, I share this passage with you all the time. Paul articulates it in Philippians 1.21 To live is Christ, to die is gain. You should know that by heart. And the true Christian understands this. We follow Christ because we love Him. And, and the true Christian is progressively learning that, uh, this, that we are to selflessly give our way to this awesome God just as He has given Himself away to us. And certainly, this is not about temporal gain. It's not about that. It's never been about that. If you ever hear anybody preaching that, you need, to, you need to run from that church or you need to turn off that TV or turn off that radio. That is a false gospel. That is the spirit of Antichrist. It is a sham gospel that Satan loves to perpetuate. He knows it's a lie and he knows that ultimately everyone sitting there believing it is going to discover it's a lie. It has nothing to do with Christianity, biblical Christianity. Nothing, absolutely nothing. I love what John Eldridge says about Philippians 1.21. He says, people who get that text, they're the most dangerous people in the world. I want to be dangerous. I don't know about you. I want to be dangerous. And then he quotes uh, that great line in Braveheart. You guys know the line? Remember what Braveheart said when he's facing the gallows? He says, all men die. But not every man really lives. Philippians 1.21 That's about men and women who really live. <laughs> to live is Christ. To die is gain. A Piper quote and then I'll move on. Piper says, the false health, wealth, and prosperity gospel swallows up the beauty of Christ and the beauty of His gifts and He turns, it turns them into idols. And he talks, about the, he talks about biblical Christianity. Real faith is utterly in love with all that God will be for us beyond the grave. Yes, He's, he's, he's for us in this life, but the bulk of the promises are beyond the grave. Let's understand that. If we profess to believe the Bible, we profess to be Christians, the bulk of God's promises are beyond the grave. Yes, He's with us in this life. But I love that Piper says it like that. Real faith loves God more than a job, more than money, more than dream houses, more than marriages, more than retirement, more than children. Real, love, uh, real faith loves God more than life itself. Real faith says, whether God handles me tenderly or gives me over to torture, I love Him. He's my reward. 
Any amens on that? Amen. That's what this sermon is about. Why do real Christians take temporal risks in obeying God? If we read our Bibles, we know it's not because we hope to be rich. We're no name it and claim it bunch in this church. And it's not because it will always go well for us in a temporal sense. You remember the guy in Hebrews 11. I don't know who it was, but there was some guy in Hebrews 11. He got sawn in two. So in a temporal sense, it didn't go so well for him. But we walk with Christ because we love Him. And we trust His sovereign purposes. To live as Christ, to die as gain is not just a catchy theological turn of, of a phrase. It's supposed to be your lifestyle. <laughs> it's supposed to be my lifestyle. And as we progressively fall in love with Jesus Christ, we will progressively learn what it means to truly confess that to live is Christ and to die is gain. True faith says, whether God handles me tenderly or gives me over to torture, I love Him. A couple of examples from Scripture. Uh, Joab, you guys remember this great text, Second uh, Samuel chapter 10. Joab's commander of the, of the Jewish army. and They're surrounded by the enemy. This is what he says. You've got to love this. Be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to Him. Amen? I'm not demanding that God deliver me because I can think faith-filled thoughts and speak faith-filled words. I will obey the Lord because He is worthy to be obeyed. He is God. And all that I am and all that I have, I owe to Him. I owe my eternity to Him. I gladly walk with Him no matter what it costs, no matter what the risks. you got to love Joab. He's, he's not preoccupied with what it may cost to obey the Lord. He says, let's be real men and walk with God. you got to love it. you got to love it. He's not preoccupied with the cost. He's preoccupied with El Shaddai. He says, let's be God's courageous warriors and leave it to God. Hey, that's the, that's the whole message right there. If you don't hear me say anything else, you be God's courageous warrior in your family, in your work, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your church. You just let the chips fall where they fall. That it, you shouldn't even be thinking about that. Don't even think about the consequence. Just obey. As we say so often here, with glad, reckless joy. We, we talked just a couple of weeks ago about Esther. And, and uh, you know she had to decide whether she was going to play it safe or, or, or do what she knew God had positioned her to do. You remember what she said? She said, I'll do what the Lord has called me to do. And if I perish, what? I perish. A true believer leaves the consequence to God. We don't worry so much about the consequence. We pray through that. We look at God. We will obey the Lord and leave uh, the consequence to Him. That's what the Lord has called us to do. Esther said, I will live my faith huge and let my sovereign God do all His good pleasure in my life, whether that means martyrdom or untold blessing. Now, we, I just want to remind you what sovereignty means 
as we go through this and uh, as I share a few passages with you. Sovereignty means that God has absolute, uncontested, infinite power and authority. He rules and He reigns. We don't believe in luck. Luck is a vacuous word. Luck means nothing. Chance means nothing. El Shaddai is a sovereign God. He controls all things. We know what Jesus said in Matthew 10.29. His eye is on the sparrow. Countless billions and billions and trillions and trillions of sparrows on the earth. Not one will fall to the ground apart from the will of my Father, Jesus says. And if any of, you actually, if any of us actually would believe that and apply that, <laughs> we are free to live our faith huge. We are free. Ephesians 1, uh, 14, God works all things according to the counsel of His will. Psalm 104, 19, the Lord has established His throne in the heavens. His sovereignty rules over all. So, just very briefly tonight, I want to look uh, at a couple of example, examples. If you'll turn with me uh, to uh, Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. just want to look at a couple of examples here. Um, believers who believed God, they lived their faith huge, and they just rested in the sovereign providences of God. And as we look at these, example, these examples, uh, one was martyred, one was delivered. So we need to be able to talk about this intelligently. We need to be able to talk about this biblically. How do we explain this to unbelievers and immature believers in the church? Why was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego delivered? And why was Stephen stoned? How do we talk about this? We need to biblically understand how to talk about this. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, builds a 90-foot golden idol. Verse 6, he demands that all bow down and Worship that idol under penalty of death. Verse 12, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not bow down. Verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar is outraged and has them brought before him. Verse 14 through 18, uh, let me summarize here. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, is it true? You won't bow down? They said, yeah, it's true. Verse 16, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this. They're basically, they're basically saying our mind is made up. <laughs> We're not going to bow down. Our mind is made up is basically what they're saying there. It says, uh, verse 17, If it be so, our God who, who we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. Of course, either temporally or eternally. Verse 18, But even if He does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Notice two things. They say we may die, but we will not compromise. Is that true for you, Christian, in your life? This is the way God calls His children to live. Did you notice? He says, he, he, they say, hey, our God's able to do this. We know He can but he may not. We leave that with God. Don't you love Christians? Don't you love people that let God be God? And they don't try to dictate to God? They just let God be God. Your job, my job, is to simply do what he says. And we're supposed to leave everything else to him. 
it's one of the fruits of sovereignty. Leave everything else to our awesome and loving, all-wise King. They know God can deliver them, but they do not presume to know if He will. Their obedience is not preconditioned on what God will or will not do. It's only preconditioned of their overflowing love for Him and desire to honor Him. They obey and they let the chips sovereignly fall wherever they fall. I love these guys. You know, uh, we've talked about this several times over in Daniel chapter 1. You know, Daniel made up his mind. He was not going to compromise. And Daniel had made up his mind. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have done. And that's what I'm exhorting you to do. This Part of what these sermon ser- this, sermon, this little short sermon series on sovereignty is about, I want you to make up your mind that God is sovereign in your life. And He's really God. He's not just God in name. He's God in deed. And He will show up. And He will keep His promise to His people. Beloved, you're supposed to be living like a son or a daughter of God. Are you? Am I? We can because our God is sovereign. He is the absolute King and monarch of the cosmos. So I'm exhorting you to make up your mind to trust in the sovereign King known as Lord Jesus. Not to shrink back if it looks risky. Not, uh, to trust and, and uh, to act on the promises of God even if it looks costly. To obey your Almighty Sovereign with glad, reckless joy. And as I told you two weeks ago, to live your Christianity like you know it's supposed to be lived. That's always my challenge for myself. To live my Christianity the way I know the Father has designed for me to live it. Which is always 100% full throttle, all the way out, glad, reckless, joy, obedience. (laughs) It's always that way. It's always that way. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did their job. I wonder if God showed up. How many of you know the rest of the story? Look at verses 19 to 25 here. Let me just summarize. Nebuchadnezzar is full of wrath. and uh, Yeah, his face is altered <laughs> with his anger. And he heats the furnace seven times hotter than it normally is heated. And he has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tied up. And he orders them to be cast into the furnace. And they're cast into the furnace. And those valiant warriors that cast them into the furnace are, are consumed by the fire. But Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they're just walking around in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar, verse 24, he's astonished. He said, was it not three men that we cast into the midst of the fire? His advisors answered, "Uh, certainly, O king, verse 25. He answered and he said, look, I see four loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Who's in there with them? Jesus. Jesus is in there with them. Pre-incarnate Christ. How can you not love this story? (laughs) How can you not love it? Jesus is with them. We've talked about it so many times. God never doesn't come to His children in the hard spot. It's always a God encounter. I heard a preacher preach this text one time and he had four points. And I liked them. 
He said, these guys are different. They're dedicated, they're daring, and they're delivered. I like that. He missed one point, I think. Maybe the most important point. Is if you'll notice the effect that their fearless obedience had on the unbelievers around them. Um, Yeah, let me just summarize real quickly verses 26 and 29. Nebuchadnezzar says, Hey! You guys, come on out of there, you servant of the Most High God. What, is, what does He know now that He didn't know before? Their God is what? God. I love this story. love this story. He says, come on out of there, you servants of the Most High God. And uh, all the officials were gathered around. Verse 27, there was no effect on their bodies or their, their hair or, or their trousers. They didn't even have the smell of fire on them. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has delivered His servants, uh, who put their trust in Him. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything against this God shall be torn limb for limb. There is no God like that God, like their God. Beloved, as I told you two weeks ago, this is one reason God will put you in the trial. Because the unbelievers and the immature Christians are are supposed to see that yes, God is a faithful God. And God will sustain you in the trial. You don't run from the trial. You embrace the hard providences of God and expect a God encounter. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. You remember what Jesus told His disciples? Luke 21, 13. He said when it gets hard, He says that will be your opportunity for testimony. You remember that text? When it gets hard. Not when it's easy sitting in church. Any of us can do that. He says when it gets hard in the world, that's when your testimony will shout to my reality and my power and my beauty and my sufficiency. He says, when it gets hard, that's your opportunity. So, who doesn't love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Different, dedicated, daring, and delivered. Now turn with me, if you would, over to Acts chapter 6 and 7. Acts chapter 6 and 7. We're going to look very quickly at Stephen. Stephen's... uh, outline would be a little bit different. Different, dedicated, daring, and dead. So we have a little bit different outline for Stephen. And let's, let's pose the question again. Why does God deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and many, many others in Scripture, but He does not deliver Stephen? How are we to understand this? How are we to talk about this? Was God not a promise keeper for Stephen? Was God not paying attention? Did He let this one slip past Him? Or, was God doing one of those mysteriously good God things that C.S. Lewis calls the complex good that really transcends the finite mind's ability to understand or grasp? What does God say in Isaiah 55? Your thoughts are are not my thoughts. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts as the heaven is above the earth. You cannot figure me out, God says. And oh, how sad. Men with their two and a half pounds of gray matter, they think they know better than God. 
They think they can plumb the depths and fathom the depths of the mysteries of the cosmos. They know less than what is on the head of a pin compared to the infinite mind of God. And with great arrogance and haughtiness, men will challenge and debate the Gospel of the living God. Let's pick up here with Stephen real quick. Verse 8. He's full of grace in chapter 6. He's full of grace and power, performing wonders and signs. Verse 12-14. through 14, The Jews dragged him before the council with false testimony. Verse 15. Stephen's face was like that of an angel. And in verse 7, most of you know this, verse 7 is... Uh, Stephen's sermon, and it, it's not a I'm okay, you're okay sermon. It's, it's not your best life now kind of sermon. It's you've rejected God, and God's judgment will fall. It's, a, it's a, uh, really an abbreviated history of uh, the history of, of, of Israel. And at the end of the, the sermon, he says, he condemns, condemns them and indicts them for their unbelief, their hard hearts, and resisting the Holy Spirit. He says, you are betrayers and murderers of Messiah. <laughs> and you just don't hear guys preach like that anymore, do you? He was honest with them. He was honest with them. And then look at Acts 7, 54-60. They heard this and they were cut to the quick and they gnashed their teeth. And, 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 but being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed intently into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But the crowd cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears. and They rushed, they rushed upon Him and with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. The witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen uh, as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60, And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. Was God not paying attention? Did He let this one slip past Him? Did you notice what the text said? And I love this. There's, there are about ten times in, in the New Testament where we see Jesus at the right hand of God. And He is never standing. He is always sitting at the right hand of God. And I think, this is just my opinion, I think he stands, he stands to receive his first New Testament martyr. That's just my opinion. I may be wrong. But it sounds like something Jesus would do. It sounds like something he would do. He has not abandoned Stephen. He has come to Stephen. And he has sustained Stephen in the trial. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got the God encounter, and Stephen got the God encounter. There's no difference here, except in temporal consequence. There's absolutely no difference here. God was faithful. God came to His servant in the hard spot. God always comes to His people in the hard spot. He never doesn't do that. And whether God delivers us, or God simply sustains us in the trial, He comes. He never doesn't. 
come. The man or woman who obeys the Lord will always get more of God. I've told you this many times. One of my former pastors when I was in seminary. This is so true. I can give you personal testimony here. And many of you can give your own testimony. You get as much of God as you want. Believer, if you want Him, Jesus says, if you love Me, keep My commandments. If you want Him, obey Him with glad, reckless joy. You will have God encounter after God encounter after God encounter after God encounter after God encounter. The reason many professed Christians in the modern church have such a small, little bitty, tiny, almost unrecognizable kind of faith is because they left off obeying God a long time ago. When it got risky, when it got costly, they stepped back. Now, they, they may still be sitting in a church, they may still be on a church roll somewhere, but they stopped following Christ a long time ago. And I think that's one reason that Christianity is, uh, is slandered so much in the world. It's because those who profess to be Christians live it like it's just any other dead religion. But, beloved, Christianity is no dead religion. It is no dead religion. Look at uh, Acts 1-4. through You know, we, we can't parse all that God does, but in this case, the Lord tells us what He was doing. And, 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 and in our lives, when we don't understand what He's doing, we're just supposed to extrapolate that we, He knows what He's doing. And we're supposed to trust Him. But look at Acts 8, 1. Saul was in hearty agreement of putting uh, Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Verse 4. Therefore, those who had uh, scattered went about doing what? What did this, those who were scattered, what did they do? They preached the Gospel. God was scattering His church to go get His people in the rest of the world. God was doing a complex good thing in the stoning of Stephen. Beloved, don't question God's providences in your life. Worship Him and obey Him. That's it. It's Christianity is so simple. It is so simple. Don't kick against the hard providences of God. Worship God. And obey. People around you will get converted. If you live like that, people around you will get converted. God will convert people around you when you live like that. Let's just briefly, I want to close, just take a really quick look at uh, Hebrews 11 just to make a few closing points here. You know, Hebrews 11, that's uh, one of those passages that the prosperity. Uh, preachers never talk about. But if you look at Hebrews 11, you look at the sufferings that are mentioned in verses 35 to 38, and you see that those sufferings came by faith. They came by faith. If you read the text, you'll see it comes by faith. The same kind of faith uh, that brought the victories in verses 33 and 34. By faith, 
Some escaped the edge of the sword, verse 34. By faith, some were put to death with the sword, verse 37. We need to know how to talk about this and understand this. The suffering, misery, torture, imprisonment, and death spoken of in verse 35 to 38 are not owing to God's unfaithfulness or His impotence, but rather to His perfect sovereign plan. God decides when to deliver His people from suffering, and He decides when to sustain them in the midst of that suffering without deliverance. This is God's business. This is not your business. This is not my business. It's God's business. In the faith of His people, God sometimes puts His raw power on display for the believer and everyone around Him to see and He delivers us. In the faith of His people, God sometimes puts His sufficiency on display for those around us to see that He satisfies our hearts so much that we don't have to have deliverance. He is enough. He is infinitely more than enough. He's beautiful and satisfying. <laughs> Whether I'm in the midst of blessing or in the midst of torture, my God is worthy. My God is compellingly beautiful. And I want you to see that when God allows His people to suffer, in the trial, I want you to see that, that, in my opinion, that is more of a powerful testimony to His beauty and sufficiency than if, if, than if He swooped in and supernaturally delivered by His raw power. What does real faith believe in the moment of torture? That if God loved me, He would get me out of this? That's not what real faith believes. Now that... Superficial kind of, I attend church kind of faith believes that. But biblical faith believes that God is better than the miracle of deliverance. <laughs> His raw power is not on display in the lives of those who suffer. His breathtaking beauty is on display in the lives of those who suffer and will not recant and will not rail, and will not call God to account. Beloved, <laughs> Jesus said in this life, you will have trouble. And if, trouble, if you have trouble in your life right now, why are you wringing your hands? You're supposed to be looking at God and expecting a God encounter. Expecting a God encounter. So these that suffer... Their lives shout that God's better than anything this life can give and God is better than anything death can take. This is why God lets His people suffer sometimes. Because it is an irrefutable testimony to the beauty and breathtaking nature of God. I don't preach the false prosperity sham gospel. It is a counterfeit and let me tell you another reason I don't preach it. It's just simply too small for me. Man, I can't live 
hoping for some trinkets in the world. I can't live for that. My heart, I, my heart, that doesn't fill up my heart. A beautiful, sovereign, redeemer God fills up my heart. It's just, you know, this, this sham gospel, it's just too small for us. So I preach a God who is worthy to live for and worthy to die for. Piper is right. Biblical faith loves God more than job, more than money, more than dream houses, more than retirement, more than marriage, more than children, more than life. Biblical faith says whether God handles me tenderly or gives me over to torture, I love Him unconditionally. And my challenge to you, beloved, is to go out there and live like that's true in your life. David said it perfectly in Psalm 63, 3. Oh God, Your loving kindness is better than life. I want to... Uh, when we were in Interlochen, they gave us a couple of moments. And I liked it. I thought it was good. So I'm going to give you a couple of moments to think about what God has said to you and me tonight. Think about uh, maybe what you need to change in your life. Maybe that place where it's hard for you and you're afraid. You just need to give that fear to God. We talked about it about three or four weeks ago. Joshua and Caleb said, God will turn your fear, does anybody remember? Into your prey. This is what God does in the lives of His people. I want to give you a few minutes. Do some business with God. Do what you need to do. Then I'll pray. And then we're going to sing. You have a few minutes.